Loved ones, let's turn our attention to God's Word now. Daniel chapter 11, verses 20 through 35 is our Old Testament reading this morning. Daniel 11, 20, uh, verses 20 through 35. This is the Word of the Lord. <clears throat> There shall arise in his place one who imposes taxes on the glorious kingdom. But within a few days he shall be destroyed, but not in anger or in battle. And in his place shall arise a vile person to whom they will not give the honor of royalty, but he shall come in peaceably and seize the kingdom by intrigue. With the force of a flood they shall be swept away from before him and be broken, and also the prince of the covenant." And after the league is made with him, he shall act deceitfully, for he shall come up and become strong with a small number of people. He shall enter peaceably even into the richest places of the province, and he shall do what his fathers have not done, nor his forefathers. He shall disperse among them the plunder, spoil, and riches, and he shall devise his plans against the strongholds, but only for a time. He shall stir up his power and his courage against the king of the south with a great army, And the king of the south shall be stirred up to battle with a very great and mighty army, but he shall not stand, for they shall devise plans against him. Yes, those who eat of the portion of his delicacies shall destroy him. His army shall be swept away, and many shall fall down slain. Both those kings' hearts shall be bent on evil, and they shall speak lies at the same table, but it shall not prosper, for the end will be at the appointed time. While returning to his land with great riches, his heart shall be moved against the holy covenant. So he shall do damage and return to his own land. At the appointed time, he shall return and go toward the south. But it shall not be like the former or the latter. For ships from Cyprus shall come against him. Therefore he shall be grieved and return and rage against the holy covenant and do damage. So he shall return and show regard for those who forsake the holy covenant. And forces shall be mustered by him, and they shall defile the sanctuary fortress. Then they shall take away the daily sacrifices and place there the abomination of desolation. Those who do wickedly against the covenant, he shall corrupt with flattery. But the people who know their God shall be strong and carry out great exploits. And those of the people who understand shall instruct many. Yet for many days they shall fall by sword and flame, by captivity and plundering. Now when they fall, they shall be aided with a little help, but many shall join with them by intrigue. And some of those of understanding shall fall to refine them, purify them, and make them white until the time of the end, because it is still for the appointed time. In our New Testament text, Matthew 24, 15 through 31. Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet standing in the holy place, whoever reads, let him understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let him who is on the housetop not go down to take anything out of his house. And let him who is in the field not go back to get his clothes. But woe to those who are pregnant and to those who are nursing babies in those days. And pray that your flight may not be in winter, or on the Sabbath. For then there will be great tribulation, such as has not been since the beginning of the world until this time. No, nor ever shall be. And unless those days were shortened, no flesh would be saved. But for the elect's sake, those days will be shortened. 
And if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ, or there, do not believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will rise and show great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. See, I have told you beforehand. Therefore, if they say to you, look, he's in the desert, do not go out. Or, look, he's in the inner rooms, do not believe it. For as the lightning comes from the east and flashes to the west, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. For wherever the carcass is, there the eagles will be gathered together. Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from heaven and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in heaven and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet, and they will gather together his elect from the four winds, from one end of heaven to the other. Amen. Thanks be to God for his word. Let's pray now together that he would bless it to us. Oh, our God and Father, we thank you that you have given us your holy word, your true and dependable and unchanging and life-giving word. We thank you that your word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. We praise you for giving us this this sufficient word from you yourself. Father, we pray that you would make our hearts to be open to your word, that we receive your word in faith, and that you would show us again the sufficiency of our Savior for us and stir up our hearts to trust and walk in obedience to him our King. We pray it in His name, and we ask it that you'd accomplish it by the power of your Spirit. Amen. In 1935, uh, World War I was still a very painful recent memory. Um, Great Depression was still slogging on. Uh, Nazis are on the rise in Germany. World War II is just around the corner. Um, The world is a dark place in 1935. And uh, it's a place full of trouble and difficulty and and confusion. Um, During that time, during that year, 1935, J. Gresham Machen, who uh, founded Westminster Seminary um, and also had such an important role in the the beginning of the OPC, um, he gave some radio addresses in Philadelphia. um, And these were just little talks that he gave uh, to to talk about... um, Christianity. And in the first one, the first one was titled this, The Present Emergency and How to Meet It. The Present Emergency and How to Meet It. And this is, this is, uh, this is one, of, uh, one of the things he said there. He said, No thoughtful man can possibly look out on the world today without observing that we are in the midst of a tremendous emergency. It does seem perfectly clear to thoughtful people, whether they are Christians or not, that humanity is standing over an abyss. If those words were true then, um, they're true now as well, aren't they? Nothing new under the sun, right? And just turn on the news. Um, and we, we, we've had a lot of it lately, haven't we? Um, uh, they're all, all, all the things going on in the Mideast. Israel and the, the, being attacked by Hamas. And if you've continued to pay attention to, the, to those things, as more details have come out and uh, journalists have been describing some of what happened there, just the, the, the complete horror of it all. 
Um, and then, of course, there's all the other things going on in our lives. Um, uh, COVID's not that far gone, is it? And the ramifications of that, and there's the polarization in our culture, uh, and, and, and all these other crises. Um, uh, we're told that uh, mental health issues are on the rise, and loneliness is becoming uh, so pervasive, and anxiety is so pervasive, and, and the drug crisis, and immigration, and, and inflation, all of it. And then, um, right here, Lewiston, Maine, uh, just this past week. How do we respond to these sorts of things? How do we respond, and how do we help others respond? What do we say to our own hearts? What do we say to others' hearts? Where do we find answers? Now, there's nothing, looking, nothing wrong with looking for um, practical solutions to the issues, the problems we're facing. Um, but most fundamentally, brothers and sisters, most importantly for us, we need wisdom from outside ourselves. We don't need a word from man. We need a word from God. We need, we need His wisdom, His word, and His salvation. Um, especially in times, in times like these. In Machen in 1935, giving his little talk there, the present emergency and how to meet it, he said this, I'm asking you to turn away from me and my opinions. I'm asking you to turn away from yourself and your opinions and your troubles, and I'm asking you to turn instead that you may listen to a word from God. That is what we need. In light of that, brothers and sisters, as we turn now to Matthew 24, uh, we hear the very word of God, our Lord Jesus Christ, speaking. And here our, our Lord Jesus tells us something about the present emergency we're already in. Um, he actually, in Matthew 24, prophesied, promised that we'd go through many troubles and much tribulation. And what we're experiencing is something that he himself has predicted. Um, but he doesn't just tell us in Matthew 24, the text that we read, uh, that we will go through troubles and tribulations. But he tells us how to go through them. How to walk with wisdom in the midst of the troubles, in the midst of the great tribulations that we're going through. And now, um, Matthew 24, unfortunately, is uh, sometimes mined more for speculation than for application. We can, we can look at Matthew 24 uh, and we can see it as less practical than other parts of Matthew's Gospel. It's the fifth and final discourse, big section of teaching that Jesus gives us in the Gospel. And it's the bookend, I think, to the first one, the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapters 5 and 7. Now, the Sermon on the Mount, that's full of good practical stuff, right? Um, about how to live as a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. But, but the Sermon, all of the discourse, chapters 24 and 25, on the other end of, of the Gospel of Matthew is also focused on how to live as a citizen, as a son of the, of the kingdom of heaven. How to live in light of the fact that the kingdom of heaven is coming. How to walk with wisdom in light of the fact that the kingdom is dawning. In particular, how to be ready for it. This is what Christ teaches us here, brothers and sisters. Um, he teaches us to walk with wisdom in the midst of these present evil days. And he gives us three commands. So what I, want to, what I want to do now is walk with you through the text, looking at the three things our Lord Jesus calls us to. How to walk with wisdom in these troubles. Number one, verses 15 through 22, be ready for tribulation. Uh, 
the first command here, be ready for tribulation, it has a very particular historical context in view. And we need to see that first. Jesus, he's talking to his disciples, um, and he's giving them very specific prophecy about what's going to happen in the very near future. Uh, Less than 40 years, and Jerusalem's going to be crushed by Rome. It's going to be absolutely destroyed. The temple itself is going to be burned by the Romans. And Jesus is giving his disciples a warning about that event, uh, first and foremost here. Um, You'll see there in verse 15, he refers to the abomination of desolation, picking up on something that Daniel's prophecy talks about. Um, Daniel was prophesying about a Greek king uh, named, let's see if I can get this right, Antiochus Epiphanes was his name, uh, in the year 168 B.C., 168 years before Christ, who would come and put up an altar to Zeus in the temple and sacrifice uh, pigs on it and, and, and ban people from worshiping Yahweh. Uh, and to, to Jews, this is, this is an abomination. Here in the holy place of God, in the temple, it's been, it's been, uh, it's been hijacked for the worship of pagans. But Jesus, he looks at that prophecy and he, he sees, yes, fulfilled in 168 B.C. It's also going to be fulfilled, even more so, in 70 A.D. Um, when Rome comes and they destroy the temple and they're 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 idolatrous pagan uh, feet trample the holy place. And Jesus is giving his disciples a warning about this. He's saying, when you see them coming, when you see the Roman armies coming up to Jerusalem, when you hear about them coming, don't stay in the city, Christians. Flee. It's the judgment of God coming. Don't stay. Um, If you look at the words he uses, it's very urgent. It's a picture of just complete emergency that he gives them. Um, He says that if they're in Judea, right, in the area around Jerusalem, they should get out. They should run to the mountains. Uh, Hide hide where it's safe in the mountains, out of the city. Um, If you're on the roof of your house, right, in Palestine, flat roofs, nice, comfortable place to be. Um, If you're on the roof of your house, don't go down in the house and get all your stuff and put it in the donkey cart and get out. Don't don't go rent the U-Haul. Um, just, just go. Just, just jump in the car and go as fast as you can. Don't stay. Um, if you're, if you're at work, you're in your work clothes. Don't go home and change. Don't go get your coat. Um, he says, if you're out in the field, don't run back and get your tunic. Just, just run, and and pray. Pray. It's not going to happen in the winter time. Pray. It's not going to happen on the Sabbath, um, because it's going to be so emergent, such an emergency, such a trial. He says in verse 21, he says, For then there will be great tribulation, such as has not been since the beginning of the world until this time, no, nor ever shall be. And the destruction of Jerusalem was that. Uh, One commentator writes this. He says, The savagery, slaughter, disease, and famine, mothers eating their own children, were monstrous, unequaled from the beginning of the world until now. There have been greater numbers of deaths, but never so high a percentage of a great city's population so thoroughly and painfully exterminated and enslaved as during the fall of Jerusalem. So Jesus is seeing that 40 years away, and he's telling his disciples, run from it and pray it's not going to happen in winter. Um, The historical record bears out that they listened. Um, 
by and large, the Christians did flee, and they weren't staying. They didn't stay in Jerusalem, and they weren't slaughtered when the city was destroyed. But brothers and sisters, we need to ask, of course, what are we supposed to learn from this? Is this just interesting historical lesson um, for for Jesus' disciples, that first generation living through the destruction of the temple? Well, no, it's not. Um, there, there is something vital for us to listen to here and to learn here um, because what Jesus describes in these verses is clearly tethered, yes, to something in past history, but it's also the beginning of the whole period of tribulation that has marked all of church history. In verse 22, Jesus says this. No, he says, unless those days were cut short, no flesh would be saved. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be shortened. He's saying, unless those days were cut short. What does he mean by those days? He's just been talking about the destruction of Jerusalem, right? But, but notice what he says here. Unless those days were cut short, no flesh would be saved. Well, those days has to be more than the destruction of Jerusalem then, doesn't it? Because the destruction of Jerusalem didn't threaten all humanity. And so Jesus is saying, those days, he's expanding the category, right? The destruction of Jerusalem is the tip of the iceberg. It's the, it's the heading on the category. But there's a whole bunch of stuff connected with it. It's all part of the tribulation that's coming on the, on, on the whole world. And so the point for us is um, we also need to be ready. Ready for the tribulation, ready for the troubles, the tribulation is not some distant future thing that hopefully we won't have to go through. It's, it's the experience of God's people in Christ. From Christ himself being crucified, the beginning of that tribulation, until his return in judgment. And so in this text, Jesus, as he calls his disciples to be ready, he is also calling us to be ready, to be alert, to be awake. Now, He's not saying be a prepper, right? Get your emergency bunker, load it up with ammo and food. Right? It's not wrong to do that. If you've got a bunker, it's fine. Um, uh, it's not, not wrong to do that necessarily. But that's, that's not the kind of readiness that Christ has in mind here, is it? Um, he's, he's calling us to be wide awake, wide-eyed, alert, spiritually awake to the coming of the kingdom of heaven. Um, There's a wonderful picture of this in the Old Testament. The people of Israel enslaved in in, in Egypt. And they're they're celebrating the the, the first Passover there. How does God command them to partake of that Passover? Standing up, belts on, shoes on, staff in your hand, while you eat. Be ready. At any moment, the command comes, be ready. We get the opposite illustration of this in Lot and his wife in, in Genesis as well. Um, right? They're fleeing destruction, but they're not ready. They wait to the last minute. They look back over their shoulder um, in, uh, in, in grief for what they're losing. Um, don't be like that, brothers and sisters. Christ calls us to readiness. How, how, then? how then are we to be spiritually wide awake and alert? And ready. Um, in particular, here Jesus tells us to give ourselves to prayer. That's that's what's central to his command for readiness and spiritual alertness to his disciples. Pray, pray that it won't happen in in winter 
And uh, apparently they did pray. It didn't happen in winter for them. They fled in August. Um, God heard and answered, answered their prayer. And, and brothers and sisters, what we're called to is, is the same, to be spiritually wide awake and alert through prayer. If you're not praying, you're not spiritually wide awake. Prayerlessness is spiritual drowsiness. And we can deceive ourselves and think, well, I'm not praying because I'm too busy. Or I'm not praying because I'm distracted by these other things. I'm still spiritually alert and awake, but brothers and sisters, as Christ calls us to readiness, he calls us to prayerfulness. The two are the same. He promises the troubles, the tribulation is coming. How do you be ready? You pray. You pray. And keep your eyes fixed on him in prayer. You give yourself to prayer. That's the first. That's the first thing. Second thing Jesus tells us, wisdom for the troubles. The second, the second piece he gives us here is to be firm against false teaching. In verses 23 through 28. Be firm against false teaching. Uh, Jesus here warns us against false Christs and false teachers. Um, he, he anticipates that there will be false teachers and those claiming to be Christ and claiming to give a salvation of some kind. It's not just a possibility that there will be. It's a certainty. Um, he says in verse 25, See, I have told you beforehand. He wants us to be ready, to be prepared, by knowing Christ already told us that people would come and, and, and bring a false gospel. Apostle John, writing in 1 John 2.18, says the same thing. He says, Children... It is the last hour. John, already writing that. It's the last hour. And as you've heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore we know that it is the last hour. Rivals to Christ, bringing a false gospel, false teachers bringing false gospel, um, mark the last days that we're living through. Um, quick look at church history bears this out that all through the church's history there are people bringing false gospels an alternative uh, salvation uh, to us and tempting us to walk away from Christ and the truth of his word the hymn the church is one foundation has a wonderful striking line about this it says uh, though with a scornful wonder we see the church sore oppressed by schisms rent asunder, by heresies distressed. The history of the church is a history of struggling against false teaching. It starts with the first letter of the New Testament, Galatians, uh, written, written probably 49 A.D., just 29 years or so after, uh, excuse me, just, 29, just 20 years after Christ rose from the dead. And Paul's already grappling with false teaching and a different gospel. And he says to the Galatian church, if anyone brings you a different gospel, don't listen to them. Let them be accursed. Hold on to the true gospel. And then so many of the other letters of the New Testament as well, uh, warning against the danger of false teaching and false gospels. The Reformation, right? That we are remembering and celebrating tonight. Um, it's a struggle over the gospel and the truth of the gospel. 
and what the Bible is and who God is, what grace is, what the church is. And that struggle has continued on down to our own day. And all around us, false teachers, the gospel of social change, the gospel of health, wealth, and prosperity, the gospel of moralistic, therapeutic deism, all these false things around us, tearing so many churches apart, drawing so many away from following Christ. Brothers and sisters, don't underestimate. Do not underestimate the pull of false teaching and think that you're immune to it. Um, We might think it's easy to spot something that's not true according to God's Word and and that our hearts won't be drawn to false teaching and and other other, other Gospels. But, But Christ here says that it will be very convincing. That if it were possible, it would even deceive the elect. Um, that, that, that's a severe warning that he gives us. We are so easily deceived and, and, and tricked, and, and the only way not to be deceived is to know Christ and to know his word, and to, to, to give ourselves to, to studying it and living under it and living by it. So don't, don't, don't be deceived. And don't be drawn to the latest fad in, 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 in teaching, and, and, uh, but, but stick close to Christ and the word of Christ and the truth of Christ. Christ gives us this warning, brothers and sisters, and calls us to faithfulness and holding fast to His Word. So, that's the second one. Uh, be, be ready by standing firm against false teaching. Stand against tribulation. Stand against false teaching. Uh, stand firm through faith, through prayer, through the Word of God. And now, the third thing that Jesus commands us to do in order to live well, to live with wisdom in these last days, is this. It's to be confident in Christ's triumph. Be confident in Christ's triumph. Verses 29 through 31. Reading through what Christ says is coming in Matthew 24 is hard. Um, the, the things he, he, he says are coming are, are, are the stuff of nightmares. It's heavy, weighty, hard to hear. Um, and read things that he says, like um, if the days were not cut short, that not even the elect would be saved. That's hard to hear. To read that false teachers will deceive many. And that the false gospels will multiply and pull away even, if possible, the elect. And not only to, to read about it, but then to live through it and to be in the own situations that we are in and to, to see the troubles that Jesus himself predicted playing out all around us. Wars and rumors of wars and all the rest of it. It's discouraging and hard to hear. So Jesus' word to us, that the wisdom he's giving us is, is good, right? It's good to be reminded. Keep wide awake, spiritually wide awake. Uh, Keep on enduring, keep on praying. Know the truth, hold fast to the truth, and defend the truth, and teach the truth. Um, But if that's all we hear, it can feel a bit like you're in the last fourth quarter of the game, and the other team is up by an insurmountable lead, and your coach just keeps yelling at you, play harder, play harder, play harder. Pray more, pray more. Read the Bible, read the Bible. It can be discouraging. It looks like it's just, we can't do it. We can't be ready for what's coming. Oh, we can't endure what's coming. But that is not where our Lord Jesus leaves us. And it's not what he's telling us. We see this as um, 
with what he teaches us next year. Verses 29 to 31, he leaves us with a promise that he himself is our Savior. That he is the one coming to save us. A three-part promise that he gives us here. Uh, The first part is, is in verse 29. He promises that when he comes in judgment... It will be world-changing. So look at verse 29. There Jesus tells us that the sun will go dark, the moon will go dark, the stars will fall um, when when he comes in judgment. It's a picture of the whole universe, the whole cosmos being uh, just, just falling apart as God the Creator who spoke it into being himself comes in judgment. It's a terrifying thing to behold. Um, it, it shows the, the awesome power of God and the fearsome judgment of God that's coming. And so Jesus is drawing our attention away from the troubles and away from fear of others and the wars and rumors of wars and famine and all the rest. And he's saying, look at this. Look at what it will be like when I come and all my power and all my glory in judgment. The second part of what he's saying is that everyone will see it. Everyone will see it and everyone will mourn. He says he'll come on the clouds of heaven. He's prophesying that he'll come back in the same way that, 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 uh, that he left. In Acts 1, we see the, uh, the disciples gathered around and they watch Jesus taken up into heaven. Physical, bodily ascension into heaven. And the promise is he'll come again in the same way and the whole world will see his return and descend from heaven in judgment. And Jesus says here that every tribe, every tongue, every nation, as they see him returning in judgment, will, will mourn. Um, why will they be mourning at his coming? Because every word, every thought, and every action, he will call to account. We read this in Second Corinthians 5.10. We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to what he's done, whether good or bad. Ecclesiastes 12.14 God shall bring every work into judgment, every secret thing, whether it be good, whether it be evil. Our confession of faith puts it like this. God has appointed a day wherein he will judge the world in righteousness by Jesus Christ. And on that day, brothers and sisters, we will give account for all that we've said and all that we've done and all that we've thought and every affection that we've felt. Um, and, 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 and we'll be facing the judgment of God. Second uh, Thessalonians says this, they shall be punished with everlasting destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His might. The return of Christ in judgment is not a myth or a theory or just, a, just an idea, but it's, it's what Christ himself says is going to happen. That you'll stand face to face with him. And that you will have to give an account. And that everything in your life, every nook and cranny of your heart will be exposed before him, the holy judge. That's not a very comforting thought. Um... <coughs> I can't think of anything I'd rather do less than that. What, what is Christ telling us here? Why is, he, why is he telling us this? Well, look at the third part of the promise that he's giving. Verse 31, he says this, And he will send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet, 
and they will gather together his elect from the four winds, from one end of heaven to the other. He's going to gather his elect. This is not a a, a threat of judgment. This is salvation. He's going to rescue them. He's going to bring his elect all to himself. He's going to gather them for, for their heavenly reward and blessing. Notice the language he uses. He calls them his elect. What what does that bring into view? Eternity past? And God choosing out of his own free, sovereign, good love those whom he will to save for himself, not for good in them, but for his own sake. What an encouragement that is, brothers and sisters. It does not say in the text, does it, that that Christ will come and gather those who have obeyed him perfectly. He will come and gather his elect so it's, it's not up to, to my endurance and perseverance. It's on him. His sovereign, unchangeable choice. Yes. His elect are those whom he has loved with an everlasting love. His elect are those whom he has died for. They are those who are justified. Those wonderful words of Romans 8, verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the elect who are in Christ, there's no wrath, there's no judgment left. The coming of the Son of Man in judgment on the last day doesn't need to trouble us at all. Because there's no condemnation. The sentence has been passed already and God won't change it. He has poured out His wrath on our Lord Jesus instead of on us. How do you get to be one of the elect? How do you get to be one of those of when, when God comes, when Christ comes in judgment, one of those who are gathered to Him in salvation and joy and love rather than those who, who, uh, who are fearful of His judgment and wrath? Um, well, you can't really write yourself you can't, you can't make yourself elect. It's God's choice in eternity past. Does that mean then that there's nothing for us to do but just to hope? Well, I hope I'm one of the ones. hope I'm not one of the reprobate. What does God's Word tell us? If you come to Him in faith, you are elect. If you come to Him in faith, it's not because of your will and your goodness choosing Him. It's Him directing that and, and working in that. And so He calls us One look at Christ in faith. One cry, Lord, save me. And He will. And you can know that you're His. And you've always been His. And you always will be His. And so this is our confidence, loved ones. And this is the the wonderful word of wisdom that our Lord Jesus gives us. In light of the tribulation and the troubles. Yes, yes, pray. And be ready and be spiritually alert and awake and, 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 and be firm against false teaching by knowing the Word of God and the truth of God. But know this. Nothing can separate God's loved ones from Him. Isn't that what Paul tells us in Romans chapter 8? He talks about the tribulation there at the end of the chapter. He asks, will it separate us? What shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, distress, famine, nakedness, sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, 
We are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. For I'm sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. And so, loved ones, in the present emergency, which is the emergency of the last days, course, stretching all the way back to Christ's ascension and stretching ahead to his return. In this world we're living in, how do we live well? Stay awake spiritually. Keep your eyes on him in prayer. Know his word and stand against false teaching. And most of all, be confident, not in yourself, but in Christ, your king who's coming back for you and who will bring you to himself and that nothing can separate you from God's love for you in Christ's your Savior. Let's pray. Thank you, O God, that you have called us to yourself and you've saved us in our Lord Jesus Christ. We pray that you'd give us grace to hold fast, hold fast to him. Lord, you have given us Christ. How will you not also with him graciously give us all things? Those whom you have called, will you not glorify? So grant us grace to persevere for the glory of your name. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.